Hey y'all, it's Orlando. We just want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to a special episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Audio Wave Network Studios, sponsored by the Four Foundation and a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey and my co-host, Donna Givis-Davison, is taking some much needed time off. She'll be back soon. Until then, send her some prayers and well wishes. Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts, efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. Also, there is a listener survey in the description of this podcast, and we are asking you, our listeners, to take it. First off, I want to thank everyone who's already taking time to fill it out. We're hoping to get even more responses. So please click the link in the podcast description to complete our survey. Today, we are happy to welcome back Antoine Bryan. Antoine is the city of Detroit's planning and development director. We were his first interview when he took the job last July, and he is keeping his promise by returning to our hot seat. Is, this, is the seat warm enough for you, Antoine? It's just warm. It's just warm. It ain't hot. I'm good. <laughs> Antoine Bryan, welcome back to Authentically Detroit. Orlando, it's my pleasure. Uh, anytime you call, I always pick up. So it's my pleasure to be here. I appreciate that. Uh, before we get into it, because we've got a lot to cover, um, there's a lot that a lot of us want to know. Uh, but I want to ask you how the day is finding you and how how are you? I know that the world is trying to get everybody back to normal, but some people ain't back to normal in their <laughs> mental yet. But so I want to check in. How you doing? I'm doing good. I can't complain. Uh, it's been good to be here. I've been staying busy. There's a lot for us to do uh, here in the city of Detroit and it's keeping me going. So I, I can't complain at all. Things are going well. Good, good. It's good to see you, too. Y'all should see this man. I mean, he Detroit has taken to him very well. Already, <laughs> not even a year in, you sharp, Doc. No, you sharp. I, I've, I've been enjoying my time, and and everyone has been incredible. And I, I must say, you know, my first real time uh, meeting the public was through your platform, and I do appreciate it. And uh, any time that we can share. Uh, with the residents of Detroit is a pleasure. So it's been almost a year. Not quite. Um, well, not quite. It'll be a year in July. Yep. How's it going? It's going well. We've got a, uh, our department is beginning to grow in planning development. Uh, we work seamlessly with some of the other departments, as you well know, HRD, uh, um, GSD, and uh, we've got some great things in, in, in mind and in plan for the city. So really excited. Cool. So I want to ask you about uh, something, something that made, you know, waves a couple of weeks ago. You were in your budget hearing um, in front of city council. And I think it was uh, District 4 Council member Letitia Johnson who asked you about a comprehensive master plan update. Um, and you, I think your response was along the lines of, you know, we have the strategic neighborhood fund. The planning commission does small updates all of the time. But in lieu of the SNF neighborhoods, they're isn't going to be a plan to comprehensively update the master plan. People are upset about that. What do you say to them? So 
making waves is strong. I'm not sure if we made waves. It made waves. some waves and some, it, you know, I got to ask you the questions you now. You absolutely have to ask the questions. So one of the things that we're examining uh, right now, um, many of the moves that we have done through our neighborhood framework plans, as well as the updates provided by the CPC, uh, have satisfied the requirements, if you will, of updating the master plan. So the CPC does master plan updates incrementally uh, for the last several years. Uh, we are aggressively looking at the what would um, be served by a master plan update. And what I shared with the, the budget uh, at the budget hearing for council, as I share with them, is that we're not against the idea. I think the idea of a master plan update could be incredibly uh, productive. But what I did say is that we would it would require uh, there's a cost uh, financial as well as uh, human capital. I need more staff to do so. Um, even though we have a very uh, talented uh, staff with PDD, right now, if we were to undertake a master plan update, um, I would need at least three or four more people. And a master plan typically ranges between uh, 1.75 and about two and a quarter a million dollars. Oh, we can raise that. I mean, y'all raise money for everything else. I mean... Uh, this uh, The PDD doesn't raise any money, yeah. just so you know. The, but, the, <laughs> the, the mayor, the, the administration figures out ways to pay for things. And so, you know, I want to, I want to park here for a minute because, uh, the, the, uh, the planning studies sad, you said the planning studies sort of satisfy the need for a master plan update, but not every neighborhood is seeing a planning study. So what do you say to folks who are not in targeted areas, not, um, in strategic investment areas on part of the administration? What are, what, what's, what's their resolve? No, no, it's a fair question. And it's one that was asked, at the budget hearing, right? Uh, one of the things that we've been doing, I, as I shared with you and shared with your audience uh, in July, um, for this last, for the first four or five months I was here, I literally pledged that I would visit every neighborhood uh, in this city within the first fourteen months, right? And so I'm actually a bit of ahead of schedule on that, um, <laughs> as as you well know. We've talked about it previously offline. Usually three to four nights a week, I'm at a community meeting, either virtually or personally, uh, so that residents. Uh, across the city know that they're being heard. Um, one of the things that we're, I've been sharing is that we're in, in addition to the neighborhood framework plans that the city of Detroit's planning department does, we also have activities, planning activities that are in place by DPW and by GSD. So it's not just PDD doing plan activities. Additionally, we support the incremental uh, work done that may look uh, at infrastructure development, that may include streetscape development. So there are other activities happening outside of what would happen from a traditional planning uh, process. Now, again, let me reiterate, um, using a master plan or implementing a master plan update in and of itself, I think is a good idea. So I never said it was bad. So I want to make sure that that part's abundantly clear. Clear the records. I, I want to make sure that part's abundantly <laughs> clear. Uh, the plan development department sees the value uh, in implementing it. But right now, we are uh, making adjustments uh, through other means. Uh, if we were to somehow uh, get the resources to do so, then that's something we could examine. But additionally, um, there is a ramp up that would need to occur uh, if a uh, master plan were to be adopted, right? Uh, a master plan typically is about a two-year project mm -hmm. right? and includes a, a, a significant amount of um, community engagement, as you can imagine, right? Because you really do have to socialize Absolutely. your entire city. Uh, and so just the preparation uh, to undergo that 
is usually, you know, three to four months in and of itself before you quote unquote even begin the process. So, you know, it's not something that I, as I said, is a bad idea. It's just, you don't just say, we think we should make it happen. And it just happens. Right. Well, yeah, you know, but we've been, we've been, we've been asking this question uh, of your predecessor of the mayor um, uh, for, for a long, long time. It, It seems to go unheard. And I, I, I would not be doing my job if I've not asked you, you know, the question around, you know, the master plan. Um, and, and and that's why I said, it. I said I never shot from any question from you. So yeah. talk about some of the other planning activities that you that you mentioned. So if there are neighborhoods that are aren't necessarily targeted for strategic neighborhood um, investments, uh, pl- you said DPW is doing planning in areas. GS. What, what does that look like um, and how and what does the impact look like for residents? What are residents seeing? So that's a great question. So, for example, uh, this year alone, uh, planning and development department will be undergoing uh, four uh, neighborhood framework plans, right? Uh, we'll be doing one in North End. Uh, we'll be doing one in Brightmore. We'll be doing one in Midwest Tireman. And we'll also be doing one in Warren Connor Creek area, right? And so those will be led exclusively uh, by the planning and development department. Then additionally, we still have activities from SNF, you know, two, right, that are still undergoing. Uh, you're seeing implementation uh, in uh, Warren, West Warren, and Cadu. That's separate from the efforts that I just you. Cadu. I'm, 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 I'm I know you're learning. I'm, I'm trying. I I'm got learning. you. They, I shall appreciate you. <laughs> so, you know, that's external to those, those efforts. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, um, commercial uh, pop-up along Dexter Avenue, right? That's mm-hmm. a whole different element from the other ones I just described. Uh, you're seeing extensive amount of, of park reinvestments. We're seeing investments along our streetscapes. Uh, I just had a conversation um, about the great work that our Rehab and Ready program is doing um, out of the mayor's office and you know home stabilization and the provision of single-family homes. So each one of these entities, each one of these projects are uh, across different neighborhoods in the city and are external to um, necessarily specifically from PDD. Yeah. And so we'll continue to do other things right now. We're looking at uh, corridor, um, commercial corridors and stabilizing those across the city. Uh, we just had a conversation in our office. Um, we're finishing up some industrial design uh, on design guidelines for much of you know our significant industrial locations across the, the city. So we, we have a lot of things on the plate that will address almost all of our neighborhoods. Okay. I want to ask you while we're still on the subject of, of planning studies. Uh, one of the things that came out of the Stellantis community benefits agreement was a planning study for uh, the impact zone. Uh, residents are wondering when that's going to happen and when will it get started? So any, you have any news for folks who are listening as to uh, this, this thing that came out of the CBA process with Stellantis as a, a part of the agreement uh, planning study for the impact zone. Great impact question. Area. Great question. Uh, the, the Stellantis CBO is uh, one that we're actively involved in as uh, was cited. There was um, to be a study to come from that effort. Uh, but there was also a request to look at the resources um, and use it almost exclusively for single family home repair. And so one of the things that we want to bring a request from whom from the community. Okay. And so what we're looking at and what we're going to present to the community and we can talk about it quickly here uh, is do we do both? Right. Because we can't. Right. Uh, You know, the amount of money that's been set aside and that was discussed at the outset um, could do either a really good study and a few homes 
or it could do more homes and maybe not a study. And so uh, to be able to do both, you know, the, the money of, of portion for it was around $500,000. Uh, for the planning study? Yeah. Um, and f- to be able to do a planning study and to do home repair, we wouldn't be able to do that substantially with $500,000. You can do either one of them really substantially for $500,000. So if we're talking about home repair, uh, $500,000 $500, is uh, almost an insult. To- that was the money that was approved way before I even got here. right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we've talked about, and we had it at our last uh during the, the presentation during uh, for the Stellantis CBO, uh, many of the residents did ask us, you know, could we use the resources for um, single family home repair, principally roof repair? Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, and, and this is something that, you know, we always try to share, we will try to respond directly to resident requests. That's the primary purpose of the CBO process in, its, in, a, in a nutshell. Uh, however, one of the things that we wanted to make uh, abundantly clear to the NAC, you know, Neighborhood Advisory Council, is that as you so rightfully stated, um, $500,000 will only get us but so many roofs. Mm-hmm. And so if we have, if that is, quote unquote, the desire of the entity, uh, there has to be the understanding that's not going to hit. That's not going to, yes, going to hit a very small amount of people. Okay. Yeah. Do we know when this is starting? Okay. It, it ideally, uh, we would love to see it start this year. There's a possibility of that, but I, I can't necessarily confirm that just yet. All right. So uh, Cranes Detroit released um, uh, an article yesterday. Bruce Detroit wrote about this months ago, so I want to go on record and say yes, you did. Olivia Lewis and I wrote about this months ago. The Army, uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has designated uh, the Jefferson Chalmers uh, area um, uh, as a floodplain. And uh, what Cranes lifted up yesterday was the significant amount of difficulty that municipalities would have to spend federal funds in areas that are designated as um, a floodplain. So when the planning study, the first round of the planning studies, Jefferson Chalmers was a part of it. Mm-hmm. I was a part of that. I was a part of that community engagement effort, worked really hard mm-hmm. on the planning study in Jefferson Chalmers. Um, it's, it, there is a significant amount of investment that is slated uh, on part of the city, on part of Jefferson East Inc. and other nonprofits. Uh, what, what is the city doing? How is the city um, responding to this? Does this mean uh, the end of SNF over there? Does this mean that uh, we need to look at significant and sizable infrastructure investments before we do any development over there? Great question. And and first of all, I'm glad that you were part of that engagement effort, you know, when it first uh, went down so that you understand that uh, the city and, and using consultants that and others like yourself to ensure that residents were heard during that purpose, uh, that, you know, there was the, the original directive to make it a significant impact by the city and Jefferson Chalmers. Uh, that was always the goal. That was always the intent. Uh, when it was declared a floodplain, you know, last, you know, quarter three, beginning of quarter four of last year, mm-hmm. uh, the city was, you know, very, very dismayed, right? We're like, okay, we've made a tremendous uh, research and study and focus and programmatic um, work toward uh, supporting uh, and revitalizing Jefferson Chalmers, and now we have this hurdle. Uh, so the city has been working for the last several months to, uh, with the feds, to be able to find creative solutions to ensure that we can still get the work done. Uh, there was, you know, as you well know, uh, efforts to secure funding 
uh, for those projects. And when the floodplain kind of label uh, was placed on a neighborhood, it put several of those resources in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the great team over at Housing uh, HRD, uh, led by Julie. Um, uh, Julie Snyder. Yep. And, uh, you know, Donald Wrencher have been working pretty aggressively to try to make sure it still gets done. So the, 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 the book's not closed. It is still an active issue on our part to ensure that those resources still can come to the community. And we do uh, recognize and continue to work with the nonprofits that have been working like JEI and others to continue with those projects. But it's an active issue on our end. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're not we're not done fighting for that. Well, I think people will be comforted, especially folks in Jefferson Chalmers, to know that the city is fighting for them. Absolutely. And is the city fighting for a removal of that designation? The city's fighting for either a removal of the designation entirely or to find a way to ensure that if it has to remain, that we can still have the capacity to be able to receive funds. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you know, either one of those would be amenable to us. Um, there are certain things, certain legalities that if it stays in place, meaning the floodplain label stays in place, that it may actually be advantageous for residents as far as uh, recovery funding in the event of a disaster. Yeah, but they but can it, pay for insurance it, that uh, is that, that, astronomically. And, and that's outside of us. I mean, that's, yeah, of course. You know, so that's yeah. a challenge, right? Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, we want to be able to mitigate and support uh, um, work that we already done. We, we recognize Jefferson Chalmers needs reinvestment. We were working ag aggressively towards that when this happened. And so we still are committed to seeing that reinvestment in that area. Let's talk about sustainability. I mean, today, as we're recording, it's raining. And I remember working at ECN. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, when it rained, I would get calls all the time. of People just shook and scared in Jefferson Chalmers, especially since we had a great flood in 2014. Nothing like what we saw last summer. But the rain is coming again. And yeah. so I want to ask about the sustainability um, of these, uh, you know, uh, earmarked developments without an investment in the infrastructure or expanding or growing the seawall is the city even considering or talking about making that investment to uh sec secure the neighborhood and to protect it from flooding i can say it's coming i can say that i can say very much so yes i've had conversations personally uh with the leadership of dpw uh because you know and i think i shared with you before uh, I spent 17 years in Houston. Mm -hmm. I've seen a flood or two, right? And so I understand the fact that climate justice is a real thing and that we have to uh, invest in resiliency um, infrastructure uh, for every city. And that was evidenced by last year. So there has been concerted efforts looking at everything from uh, reinvestment specifically uh, in Jefferson Chalmers, but also across the entire network, right? Uh, and that's everything from um, um, more stormwater management systems to uh, resiliency efforts with, through uh, uh, greenway placement and where that is in our medians to even analyzation of our infrastructure underground. So all of that is in place. They are aggressively uh, soliciting resources to be able to do so. As you know, the federal government has approved some of the largest infrastructure uh, uh, monies in recent memory, and Detroit is aggressively trying to get their fair share of it. Raising the seawall, including in those conversations? That has been looked at as part of the conversation. Not only uh, look raising the seawall, but also can we look at different models for redesigning what a seawall could look like? Mm, okay. So we're, we're really trying to be as creative as possible. Uh, just raising it is only one option that's available out there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also ways of looking at a much more permeable uh, form of, of, of um, uh, mitigation for it. 
So we are looking at every possible angle to be able to address uh, that side of Detroit. Yeah, I got I got to tell you, I got a personal stake in that because when uh, my family came up from Sharkey County, Mississippi. All right, there you go. We, we, <laughs> they, my great grandparents bought a home in the Jefferson Chalmers uh, neighborhood and that home is still in our family and it has seen its fair share. Got it. Of, of flooding. And so, uh, just wanted to name that. Let's let, since we're talking about flooding, let's talk about housing. Um, I want to get your take on, uh, the administration's housing policy. How's it going? It's working. Um, we're looking to do and continue to do more housing. Uh, everyone's aware of the mayor's initial goal of, uh, the preservation of 10,000 units of affordable housing, the creation of 2,000 more afford- um, units of affordable housing. We're ahead of schedule on that. So, you know, that number of housing will still be maintained uh, and preserved and created. Uh, we are looking also to diversify not only the product, but also um, ensuring that we're getting more affordability. And uh, I will be preemptive because I know the question is probably going to come. Uh, our team is also aggressively looking at uh, the challenges with AMI. So I know that's a question because I get asked all the time. I'm trying to be prophetic over no, no, no. my questions, Antoine Bryant. I just know I get asked about AMI and I'm like, I'm not even a housing guy, but I, I get it <laughs> and, I, and I can appreciate it. Uh, but it is something that's a reality. Um, you know, from a planning standpoint, we're aggressively looking at how uh, our residents um, enjoy live, work, and play not only today, but five years from now. And so having an appreciation to address that gap that exists in area immediate income is something that we are sensitive to. I'm going to ask you about some of the implementation projects that come after uh, planning studies and most of most of the housing that is built is multifamily. And I asked the mayor this question, too. And the affordable set asides are uh, not conducive for people with families, like real families. And so uh, what is the administration's single family housing strategy? Or if if there is one, it's it's interesting. I uh, I uh, had a, a que- I had a conversation uh, about this just last night with your friend and mine, Mister Cantrell. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, literally just last. That's night. That's funny. Yeah, and and one of the things that we've talked about um, are some of the challenges that exist in the provision of single family housing uh, in the city of Detroit using some of the market challenges that exist today. Um, unfortunately. Uh, construction prices have not uh, gone down. To some extent, they've stabilized. Some might even say they're still increasing. And it makes the provision of new single-family housing cost prohibitive. That's the primary reason why you don't see new houses going up. Well, I'm not suggesting new single-family housing. Uh, I think that we have a rich and old housing stock. Certainly. I guess my question, my follow-up question would be, absent the development of new single-family housing, what are we doing to sustain the housing stock that we have, both vacant, I know the rehab and ready part, but mm-hmm. occupied single-family houses, especially for folks who are, you know, low to moderate income who can't afford to fix it up. The city has, it, it, I think there was a significant investment from the opera funds mm-hmm. around home repair, but it's not nearly enough. I think we are in a home repair crisis uh, in the city of Detroit. What are we doing about it? Can't argue with that right now. We have a, a, a significant single-family home repair um, issue in the city that affects our seniors, that affects uh, most of our residents, not just our seniors. Uh, we are aggressively moving forward with uh, redressing that issue with our seniors. 
um, and we'll, you'll begin to see roof replacements uh, and um, home repair uh, starting very, very soon. Uh, From so the ARPA uh, program? Correct. So that's about, what, 1,200? What was the number? It's a little over 1,200. Yeah, 1,200. Yeah. So uh, that's being led, or by, uh, you know, being led by our team there at the mayor's office and under HRD, and we're really excited about that. But to your point, um, there's a lot of money that was uh, allotted through us to ARPA. Um, but quite frankly, we're trying to ensure that all of that money gets directly to the city of Detroit. Uh, it goes through the state. And sometimes things kind of get hung up in Lansing. And so we have a, you know, a very consistent and dedicated team that tries to ensure that the spigot stays open. But sometimes it flows and sometimes it trickles. Right. <laughs> so we're trying to get all those dollars in uh, the hands of Detroit as soon as possible. Then additionally, and this I, I can't, you know, make sure I, I don't want to miss this. Uh, one of the things that we're also trying to do is make sure we have enough people to do the work. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I saw an announcement yesterday. That's a real issue uh, where, you know, quite frankly, we've got more homes to work on than we have people that actually do the work to fix the homes. And so I've, I've not been joking, but I tell people all the time, if you could do sheetrock, drywall, plumbing or whatever, whatever, I can get you a job in a week. Right. I mean, cause <laughs> the city literally needs people that can do that kind of work. And, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not kidding about that. You know, have your, your audience, your callers, let me know, because there are definitely um, homes that need that kind of work and we just don't have enough people to do it. Yeah. Or enough resources. That's I correct. mean, you know, the University of Michigan Poverty Solutions and DMACS released a report last year. And this is kind of lowballing it that we have, I think they said around 27,000 homes in disrepair. That's lowballing it. Yeah. That's yeah. lowballing it. And yeah. so we, we have to do something. Mm -hmm. Right. Agreed. And is that a priority for the mayor's office? It is a priority for the mayor's office. I mean, you, um, I'm sure, uh, saw the mayor's uh, presentation on the state of the city. We talked about many of the successes that we have, but also our concentration on ensuring that Detroiters have uh, safe places to live, uh, work and play. And we've been, you know, some of the quote unquote work and play uh, opportunities get a lot of the publicity uh, because those are bigger. But uh, I can tell you conclusively that the mayor's office and the city of Detroit is, is very committed to ensuring people have a safe place to live as well. Yeah. So I had uh, Anika Goss, uh, Detroit Future City, She's awesome. on the podcast yeah. uh, yesterday. Uh, Detroit Future City recently released a report looking at uh, the lack of mortgages in in being given in the city, particularly uh, black folks. The report sort of laid bare the system of inequity that contributes to the disparity of black folks being able to uh, get a mortgage in the city. And I know that the city has tried to manufacture and engineer uh, certain programs like Detroit Home Mortgage and other programs to get folks approved. But the, the fact is that white folks are buying homes and getting mortgages in the city of Detroit at a higher rate than, you know, qualified um, credit worthy um, black folks have you got are you guys looking at this are you guys advocating and in conversations with the private banking industry to figure out how to how to fix it and maybe other alternative ways of getting folks financing and mortgages here in the city the city is that's a market crazy right now isn't nuts. the market is crazy uh one of the city's definitely um looking at it and trying to not trying to uh, talking to many of our banking partners uh, that are um, very supportive and have been partners throughout SNF and, and other initiatives to talk about this very core issue. Uh, additionally, one of the things that we have been looking at is, is increasing relationships with some of our local credit unions 
which oftentimes are uh, um, more nimble, quite frankly. Yeah, than call me. I'm a chair of one. See, you know the drill. There you go. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at that all the time as well to make that opportunity available to our residents. But that issue that's affecting, you know, uh, black folks in Detroit is happening to black folks in Houston and happening to black folks in, in New York City as well. You know, um, we were talking, my wife and I were talking about uh, friends of ours who uh, got denied for a mortgage and, and they are very comfortable and, you know, got got in Houston and couldn't get a house that they deserve mm-hmm. that they have the resources to do. So it's a national issue, um, but it's something that we are looking at here in the city of Detroit. And I think it's important that uh, your listeners know that it's not something we're letting slide. Yeah. So one of the other things that uh, the report outlined is the lack of appraisers with, you know, a, a I want to say it this way with cultural intelligence around uh, how how our city works. Right. Um, so in uh, in the United States nationally, under two percent of appraisers are black. Right. Uh, it has is the city looking at that, too. What I would uh, what I would offer there. Um, and, and that's a, a stat that I'd heard several years ago. And unfortunately, the number hasn't changed. Uh, that's a I like to call that a growth opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Because who I we, we, Anika and I were having this conversation. Who wakes up and says, "Hey, I want to be an appraiser." Bro, the question I have: is, how, <laughs> many, how many black appraisers you know? Yeah, maybe one. That's my point. Yeah, right? and so that's a, a real opportunity for us, as well as allies, to be much more involved in the process. Um, it's something that I think is is a real opportunity for those. You don't have to be a you know a PhD in, in economics or something to be an appraiser. Right? Yeah. Uh, the process actually isn't as complicated as most people think, and we just need more um, either African Americans or those that understand our community to be appraisers. I mean, that's really where the gap is, quite frankly. Yeah. I want to ask you this. I think this is my last question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you out of the hot seat. Um, you know. With with all of the developments happening along the riverfront and uh, the planned developments for Greenways all across the city, most importantly the Joe Lewis uh, Greenway, um, how are how are you guys ensuring that uh, there won't be a significant change or shift in housing values in the adjacent neighborhoods that will displace current residents? It's a great question, and it's something that we took to heart. Months ago, right? You know, I got here in July, sort of becoming involved in a conversation for the JLG, the Joe Lewis Greenway, shortly thereafter. Uh, additionally, um, I was appointed to the board of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy, right? And so we talk about uh, the connection of all these greenways on a pretty regular basis. Um, the, I can say for sure that the Riverfront Conservancy, and once we really get to the, all the protocols and governance up for Joe Lewis Greenway, I have been intimately uh, involved in our communities, but engaging our residents to let them know what's coming down. But from an internal city standpoint, we're beginning to look at all of the properties where JLG going through. Uh, as you well know, it goes through over 27 neighborhoods. It's going to touch every single council district. And so we're looking at literally and figuratively all of the homes and all the dirt that's going to touch. And uh, much of it, um, goes right by uh, single-family households and single-family neighborhoods. There's also a significant amount that goes in close proximity to some of our industrial sites, right? Uh, but when it's going through our residential neighborhoods, we want, we're looking at, okay, are these ones where there are residents that own their homes? Uh, how do we ensure that uh, their 
the the ownership there is consistent, right? I mean, that's usually where some of the challenges comes in. If it's an absentee landlord, if it's vacant land, that's where it gets a little uh, dicey. One of the the um, levers that we have as a city of Detroit that not many cities have had, i.e. in Atlanta with the Beltline or i.e. New York with the Highline, which mm-hmm. went through much more uh, commercial properties in, in the latter, is that if it's vacant land, much of the vacant land is actually owned by us. Right. So we can protect it and ensure that it's made available to residents. That was a situation in, in Atlanta. Right. And so if you've had your friends uh, or any colleagues that are in the proximity to the Beltline, that is why you saw, you know, now there are million dollar townhomes going up. I know. By the Beltline, right? I know. In areas that when nobody have gone to 15 Listen. years ago. Let's be clear. <laughs> uh, and so the fact that um, much of where we're going is either uh, through or by uh, residents that actually own the dirt, or if it's uh, dirt that's owned by us, we have much more um, ability to control the use of that dirt than some of our uh, colleagues in other parts of the country. So we are looking uh, intensely uh, to ensure that that real estate uh, can be managed and will not price our residents out. All right. Last question for you. Uh, the the mayor has been talking a lot about, you know, fixing the city aesthetic, right? You know, making sure that we look beautiful. And there are so many ways that uh, and methods that he is employed to do that. Uh, demolition being one of them. Um, but I think every, every year we have this scare of folks afraid of their homes being in tax foreclosure. And it feeds the beast that eventually could end up like on the demolition list. Right. It's, it's a symptom. Right. And so right now there's a there's a proposal in front of city council around the split tax rate uh, that will sort of incentivize um, residents um, by splitting the tax because we get these high tax bills in the summer and uh in the winter and people really don't be paying bills like people don't pay high bills like that like split it up over the over the month so it's sort of a progressive proposal is helpful toward folks uh that own vacant land who are sitting on it and our investors to sort of discourage investors from holding on to that land for too long are you familiar with the split tax rate proposal what do you think of it uh i think first of all your initial assertion that uh, the taxes are a challenge for households is, is very much a thing. And that's across uh, income ranges, right? Whether you make 20000 or you make Okay, because nobody like paying let's those be, Let's be clear, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, let me, let's make that. That's a much uh, more egalitarian than people even uh, uh, appreciate. Um, I think there's some merits to the split tax. Uh, I think it's something that our residents need to uh, fully understand and grasp uh, because there are some nuances to it. Um, I think the challenge that many Detroiters have had, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, they've been overtaxed um, for quite some time. And so even when you have the opportunity for splitting the tax, many of us uh, are still um, addressing the overtaxation from several years ago. And so uh, even when there is a viable... Well, residents are contending with that. Correctly. I don't think institutions are bothering yeah. with it at all. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I hit go that, ahead. No, you're okay. But, uh, no, it's it's you're absolutely right. I'm talking specifically about residents. Okay, so let me be clear. So I think what we're looking to do is ensuring that this is a model that will be viable. Um, I want to. I think it's it's important that uh, our residents have the capacity to be able to pay their taxes, and 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 we're trying to look at methods that will be most amenable to our residents. And uh, this is one that 
does have some some possibilities that could be an asset, but I uh, I think the the jury's still out of, as to whether all of our residents will be able to benefit from it. All right, Antoine Bryant, director of the City of Detroit's Planning and Development Department. I'm going to let you out the hot seat. Thank you so much for saying yes, man. It's always a pleasure, brother. Always. If you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at AuthenticallyDetroit at gmail.com. It's time for shout outs. You have anybody you want to shout out? We want to shout out Mr. Antoine Bryant. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, There's about two or three people I'll I'll definitely shout out quickly. Uh, Katie Trudeau. Yeah. Katie Trudeau deserves a shout out. We're going to miss Katie Trudeau in planning and development. uh, She was a real one. There you go. Yes. She's our uh, soon to be outgoing deputy director, but uh, is, is, is not leaving the city of Detroit. She will still be around. I will let her give her props when she gets her new position. So I won't say that right now, but she's going to be a tremendous asset still to the city of Detroit. So I, I definitely want to uh, shout her out. And then uh, a good friend of mine, Tiffany Jackson. She's a superstar. I love Tiffany. Tiffany Jackson deserves a shout out, Doc. She's she's the bomb and uh, has definitely been one of the people that's kind of got me used to things here in, in Detroit. <laughs> uh, so I got to give her a shout out. And those are the two that come to mind. And then, oh, lastly, a uh, big shout to my guy, Jermaine Ruffin. That's that's the homie right there. Listen. That's the yeah, homie right there. Over at Invest Detroit now. He's doing big things at Invest Detroit. Host so, of the Streets Are Planning, one of our go. favorite podcasts. There you go. Yeah. So big shouts to Invest Detroit and then Jermaine to, uh, Ruffin, my guy. Yeah, that's my dude too. Uh, I want I want to shout out Donna Givens-Davidson. Hey. Uh, she's out. Uh, y'all know she lost her mom, so y'all make sure y'all send some prayers up for her. And uh, our, our trusted and great longtime producer, JG, for always holding on the floor. Oh, he gave himself an applause. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We want you to catch the wave.